Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 385 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I'm so happy that you are here with me today as we are talking to Katrina Kittle. And honestly, this is such a joyful conversation. We're going to be talking about raising the stakes in our books and returning to what our characters really want and finding your book's GPS. Also, she's really cool. And this was just a really fun interview. So stick around. That is coming up. What is going on around here? Um, short intro today as I am fighting uh, probably weather-related migraine, and that's not always that fun. Um, but I will say that I am so close to being able to push uh, the memoir about moving to New Zealand, currently called Unstuck, off my desk and to my editor by the end of the week, which was my deadline. And I was looking at my notes, which I keep. There was this huge break in the time when I was supposed to be revising it. Uh, But I looked and it took me 13 days to revise. Um, And on each day, I did about 5,000 words of revision, which I use Pacemaker, which I love. And, but and but. Uh, There were some days when I would just revise 200 words or actually go backwards. And then other days when I would get 10,000. The pace changes day to day, but overall it can be really useful to know your numbers when you're planning out how long it's going to take you to do something. And your mileage is going to vary. My mileage is my mileage because it's how fast I move with my particular words on the page. But the thing I wanted to point out is that during the last 10 days of pretty hardcore working for hours until my brain bonks on the revision, I have read five books in the last 10 days, which, you know, I read pretty quickly, but I don't usually read a book every other day. I don't start a book, finish it the next day, start another book and finish it a day and a half later. That's not my normal pace. And I, and I, it almost feels like a one-to-one return that I need. The more time I spend revising or writing, the more I need to read. I have to input. I have to keep filling in the well. It is not a conscious thing. It's not a decision I make. It is, it feels more like a spiritual longing And I don't realize it until I'm at the end of a deadline, usually, that I have been consuming books at a higher rate than normal. It's just something that I reach out to do. So um, I want to encourage you, if you are feeling like it is hard to write right now or hard to get back to your book, throw in some really good content. And I'm talking books into your head. Yes, I think that... um, Intaking content from all sources is valuable, especially things like great TV shows and great movies. That's incredible for the storytelling brain. But writers need books. We need to be consuming the books that we love, even if it's not in the genre that we're writing in, especially if it's not in the genre that we're writing in. You're filling, it's it feels metaphysical. Um, you're filling your brain with the words that then you are going to use the next day. And the more you put in, 
the more you have to draw on. I know that's not scientific, but it feels like it is to me. Uh, so I am excited about that, excited about finishing that project, getting it off my desk and moving on to the next one. Many plans uh, in place, but I will be doing a Kickstarter soon for that book. And by soon, I mean after I do uh, the audiobook for it, I want to get it edited, do my edits, get it proofed, and do the audiobook. Have all of that done before I even launch the Kickstarter. I'll, I'll probably put up the pre sale for the like the notify me first button for the Kickstarter, but I want to get everything else in order before I do it because I know how time consuming Kickstarter campaigns are, but I'm really excited to try my first one. And I'm sure you will hear a lot more of it as we go. It is now becoming something that writers do more regularly. And I love to try new things. So the plan for this book is to do a Kickstarter for it. And then after the Kickstarter is complete, I will um, do a one month or so exclusive on my Shopify store. And then it will go to all the other vendors. The Patreon supporters, of course, are a little bit different in that they have seen a lot of these essays and they will get the complete book, depending on what level they're at. But they'll get the complete book when that is done too in digital format because they already paid me for this work that I did. These were essays that I wrote monthly for my Patreon subscribers, which is what I still do. Um, so, oh, it's so cool to think about the financial lifetime of this book. It was funded by Patreon. It'll get a boost by Kickstarter for new people. Then I can send my mailing list to my Shopify store. And only after all that will I start to push it on the regular vendors, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and those places. So it's going to be a fun experiment to see what I can do with it. Um, all right, that's enough chitter chatter from me. Let us get into the bio for Katrina. Katrina Kittle's newest novel, Morning in This Broken World, released September 1st, 2023, and was an Amazon First Reads pick for August. And we talk about that. It's really cool. Katrina is the author of four other novels for adults, Traveling Light, True, Two Truths and a Lie, Kindness of Strangers, and The Blessings of the Animals, and one novel for tweens, Reasons to be Happy. The Kindness of Strangers was a book sense pick and was the fiction winner for the 2006 Great Lakes Book Awards. She teaches creative writing in the Dayton area and online for word wor Wordsworth Writing Connections, is a lecturer in creative writing at the University of Dayton, and is a frequent public speaker. She lives near Dayton with her fella, Quirky Cat, Sweet Beagle, and Out of Control Garden. And she's just my people. So please enjoy this interview. Get some writing done of your own. Come find me and tell me about it. And here we go. Hey, you're a writer. Did you know that I send out a free weekly email of writing encouragement? Go sign up for it at rachelherron.com slash write. And you'll also get my stop stalling and write PDF with helpful tips you can use today to get some of your own writing done. Okay, now on to the interview. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome you to the show. Will you please share your name and pronouns with us? Yes, my name is Katrina Kittle and I go by she, her. Thank you. Welcome so much to the show. It's I'm overjoyed to have you. This has been delayed due to illness and other things. Um, but number one, I loved your most recent book, Morning in This Broken World. Oh, thank you and so much. 
too, when I was putting the show together, I was like, you know, looking at your bio and I'm like, that just sounds so familiar. And I realized that I had read the blessings of the animals when it came out oh. and I'm already a fan. It oh, was awesome. so beautiful. And I realized, I think we were probably publishing sisters at William Morrow right around that time. Cause I'd been moved from Avon to Morrow at some point. Okay. Um, yeah, and the yeah. years I think lined up and awesome. you're just such a oh, gorgeous cool. writer. Oh, thank you. That means the world to me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Welcome. I'm so glad to have you. All right. So you get books done, you get them written, you get them out there. Um, <laughs> when and where and how do you do all of that? Well, um, the when is ideally first thing in the morning. And I say ideally because we all know that falls apart frequently. But I do teach um, university level um, creative writing at the University of Dayton here in Ohio. And um, my department chair is fabulous and knows that I like to write in the morning. And so my earliest class is at 1230. So on an an ideal day, I get up at six. I read for half an hour with my cat nearby. She's very Mm -hmm. feral, but this is like our bonding time in the morning. Um, Sometimes she's on my lap, sometimes not. And then I go to the desk and I write and I can usually do a couple of hours on an ideal morning. But one of the things I've learned kind of recently, it took me forever, um, is that on a day, like say I have an appointment or I need to go help my dad with something, or I have to go to campus early for a department meeting and I don't get the ideal time. And I look at the day and I'm like, I don't have an hour to write, but I could probably do 15 minutes Mm. four different times, which equals an hour. And I used to just dismiss that and be like, that's not enough to get going. And I have learned that I've got to just get really stingy with it and take it wherever I can get it. And um, you can get a lot done in those little 15 minute sprints. I've always um, found that when I have to do that, when I've had to write books in those short 15 minute sprints, it feels really, it makes the rest of my very busy life feel more cohesive. Do you find that? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I know exactly what you mean. And it feels like, like I always tell people, you will, especially students you have to be hot for it. You have to be excited yes. about your story. And I always compare it to when you're newly in love, right? Um, and like you will sneak away to meet that person for 15 minutes in a stairwell if that's all you have, because you can't, <laughs> you must see them. And we should feel that way about our stories. Now I know we, yes. in the novel, you hit the middle where you're just like, no, we're breaking up. <laughs> you know, we need some time <laughs> apart. But, um, but for the most part, it should be, and it feels fun. Like you said, it makes yeah. everything feel more cohesive. And um sorry, your buds fell out, uh, everything more cohesive. And um, just like you're doing this little generous treat for yourself throughout a very busy day. Mm-hmm. And oh, I love that you said that snatching those little bits of time and they add up into full, full books and you are yeah. living proof of that. <laughs> so um, just a just a Rachel question. I find that my very, very favorite place to work is in a college library do you ever go to the college library or would you you would just be inundated by students though right you'd be like you'd see people you know well our library has all these great nooks and crannies and little booths and so I can kind of hide from people there and if I have if I'd like say I do have to go early for a meeting and then I it's it's a half an hour away which is when I usually listen to this podcast and um so I will like if I have to go in early and my class isn't for a couple hours, there's no point in driving home and I'll get something done if I stay there. 
And so I will frequently go hide in the library instead of in my office because where they'll find me is in my office at on oh, campus. True, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking for you in the library. Right. And the yeah. coffee shop, they'll all find me there. So I go to the coffee shop, get my coffee, and then go hide in the library. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that. university libraries are different than any other kind of library. They really are, right? They they've and just I got love a them all. feel. And they've got the <laughs> old books and the new books. Also, they have that air of like quiet desperation from all the students going, I'm never gonna <laughs> yes. live through this. And I kind of feed off of that, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm choosing to be here. I went to the um local university library for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Uh, because I really needed to get some work done. And I was downtown and I thought, oh, I'll try it out. And bless them, they had all of these beautiful windows and all these big tables that were full of students, but no carols, nowhere, not oh. a single place to hide. So and I don't want to be at a table with a whole bunch of people. I, yeah, no. I need a hiding a little cubby hole. Exactly. Makes me so happy. And no window. Because then I for, can forget time and be transported. And yeah. Yeah. I'm going to keep looking. The place exists in Wellington somewhere. All right. where? What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? You know, I hate admitting this, but it's just doing it, just sitting <laughs> down and doing it, right? Um, it's so, it's yes, ridiculous. It's the truest thing ever. And because I love it. And like I said, we have yeah. to love it. And yet I will find a bazillion reasons not to start. Yeah. So I think the challenge is always just starting and I feel like there's a couple times every single year that I will, for whatever reason, sometimes good reasons, sometimes dumb reasons, lose the momentum and stop keeping the schedule for a week or two weeks or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I got to get it back together. And it's so hard. But once you're doing it every day and actually, or it doesn't even have to be every day, but whatever you set out to be your schedule and you're showing up for what you said the schedule was. And kind of honoring that writing time, everything flows, everything goes so much better. But I have to relearn that a couple times every year. And I try to just give myself grace for it because I've done it so many times and I always find my way back. But yeah, it's just ridiculous how easy it is not to write and how it's, I can just convince myself that it'll be better tomorrow or after I do this or that task, which is never true. You should pay yourself first. Yeah. That we don't remember yeah. it, that we don't just right. wake up and remember it every day. How do I forget it so yeah. often? So it makes me very happy when other smart writers say <laughs> the exact And I know thing. so many writers who say that. So I know yeah. I'm not alone. And that's what I've just decided. It's part of the process. It is. I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'll just try to get back quicker. You know, but I, yeah. I want to write something about that. Thank you. I'm going to try <laughs> to remember that. So what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Well, it's the opposite of that. I think the, <laughs> the biggest joy is when I remember and I'm honoring the time and finding the time. And let's say something happens that truly interferes because sometimes we just let it interfere. But when something comes along and truly interferes, I find the way to make it up. Mm. I find the way to sneak it in. And when I have that momentum going and I'm writing more frequently and sticking with it, it's like everything opens up and everything I see or hear or experience is per the perfect detail I need for the story. It's like you're, the universe is just throwing all these little gifts at you, but it only happens. That kind of flow only happens when I'm like sticking to it and, and, and be showing up when I say I will, being there when I say I will, um, staying in love with it. You know, it's yes. like everything just flows. And that's the greatest joy is when like you're like living kind of in the book, you're in the world, you're doing your thing, but like a student will say something or you pass somebody in a car and you notice yeah. something. And it's like, everything is like feeding the book, feeding the book, feeding the story. And I, I love when that I 
that Goethe quote, um, at the moment of commitment, the universe conspires to assist you. Yes. And it's so true. It is absolutely true. Yeah. It's that beautiful synchronicity. It's just everywhere. Here's, here's an idea. Here's another. It's truly magical. magical. And it's probably just happening all the time and we're not open to it, but um, I like, I choose to think of it as magic. (laughs) I do too. I do too. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, I never thank you. Oh, Um, can you share a craft tip with us of any sort? Yes. So I thought long and hard about this because I do listen to the podcast and I'm really, I was trying to think of something that no one had talked about recently because frequently when I listen on and I show, I park in the lot at the university, I will put a little note in my phone about whatever your guest has said, like some, some amazing tip. I'm like, Oh, I need to use that in class. I need to use that myself. So what I thought I would, what the tip that I was most recently reminding students um, is in fiction in particular, um, always, always, always return to motivation over and over again. Mm. And they kind of tease me. Um, one student one year called, said, you're like the evangelist for character motivation. And I laughed and said, I will take that and own it. Um, but it's true. Cause I harp on it all the time, but like, so, but, but I have another tip that goes along with it. So like I tell when they're, when they're working on stories and I actually have a novel writing class right now and they're, it's really fun to get so in the, in a semester, they will go through an entire, they'll, they will try to write a draft, first draft, yes, messy, awful, will. shitty draft. You but, know, I teach um, the 90 days to done, which is basically yeah, the same principle. Yeah. yeah. It's like NaNoWriMo, except more sustainable yeah. and a little yes. less That's crazy. That's exactly what I say in the class. Yes. It's NaNoWriMo it extended with a hand to hold. That's what you're yeah. doing. Yeah. So when people get lost in that, when they're like, yeah. I'm just piling up the pages, but it's not really a story. I'm like, go back to character motivation. What does your protagonist want? And so the start of every scene or whatever the next blank page is like, what is she going to try to do to get that? What new thing is she going to attempt? Or is she recovering from the last attempt that failed or whatever? And then I throw in like attached to motivation as personal stakes. This is a big deal for me. So if motivation is what they want, then don't forget to think about why do they want this? Why this? What made them want this? And then that sends me into a lot of backstory. But usually I discover something that is like their the big key to them, you know, some people call that the backstory wound or whatever, but Mm. the key to like, what, why are they on this journey in the first place? Um, And just those things, I always tell students when they feel really lost, that's your GPS, come back to motivation every time. Beautiful way to say that. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you'll find your way back. You took a detour and that's fine. We all do, but it's the way back to the root. Also, it's the way back to that stairwell that you mentioned, I think earlier too, that's when we're falling back in love again. And we're remembering why we're sneaking off to meet this book um, that can reignite all of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. A great tip. Thank you so much. (laughs) What is the, what's the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you in your writing career? Oh, this one. I love that you ask this and I love that you focus on the kindness because I do think the literary community thrives on that kind of kindness. And sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it gets all competitive and icky and then it's not thriving. But I feel really lucky because I had to think about this one too. I had so many examples that I could use. And so I feel very grateful and fortunate. So many people have helped me on the path. And so I've made it my my mission kind of to be like, whenever the opportunity presents itself to lift or support another writer, I'm like, I, I'm so happy to be like, oh, let me do that, you know, like any idea. Um, so I had so many to pick from, but um, one of the ones I'll bring up is like, because it was a total stranger. And I love that too, where Sharon November 
is a young adult editor at, she was at Viking. I think she, and at Firebird, and I'm not sure if she's still there or not, but um, she, out of the blue, when my novel, The Kindness of Strangers published, she um, read the book and it's not a YA novel. It's, it's, you know, contemporary adult fiction, but I have two, there's three point of view characters and two of them belong to young people. One's a 17 year old, one's a 10 year old. And she wrote me a letter because this was 2006. So you, we did oh not, everybody gosh. had a website and an email. She wrote me a letter just out of the blue saying, I really loved this novel. I think you do young voices really well. Have you ever considered writing for young adults? And I had not, but it was really intriguing and really flattering. And she actually asked me to call her. Um, and so we, we did, we had these phone conversations. I know that sounds so old and age, like, oh my gosh, we're so, like, called but each other. But also my jaws dropped because editors don't have the time to do that unless they really believe it. There was no reason for her yeah. to do that. No, there wasn't. And, and she was just interested and, and just liked the book and wanted to talk to me. And we are still friends, like on social media, we haven't connected in a while, but we like, we'll, we'll do comment on each other's posts and stuff. She ended up not being my editor, but because of her, I did write a tween novel, Reasons to be Happy, my, my fifth book. And, um, and it's all because of her and because I wouldn't, it would, the thought would never have occurred to me. And I'm not even sure it was the right path for me to take, but it was just such a kindness to reach out and encourage me. Like, have you ever thought of this? I think you do this well. And so I've tried to remember that. And when I read a book and I don't know the person at all, even if they're like super big and famous, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to reach out and tell them that I loved this yes. and not ask for anything and just say like what it meant to me. And um, I encourage other people to do that because I don't know any writer who doesn't love that when that happens. I, exactly. And I do this thing that when it, I don't do it often, but I did it recently where I'll write to that. And it was a really, really big name. And I wrote to the author and I said, please don't respond back. I don't want a response back. I, I just want to tell you this. This is oh, how God. I felt as a writer reading your book and as a reader. And it's just so fun. But let's, I just want to point out too that, I mean, it's so old hat to you, the story you just told, but we as fresh listeners to this, you were contacted by this editor after she read your book, The Kindness of Strangers. She was a stranger doing a kindness. And oh, yeah. oh my gosh, I never even put that together. <laughs> That's awesome, Rachel. But you like invite, I that you was invited like, that boom. in. <laughs> I did. I guess I did. That's funny. Yeah. 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 That's lovely. Oh, thank you for that story. That is really, really good. So speaking of kindnesses, what is the kindest thing you've ever done for yourself? Well, I think it was your uh Jennifer Herrera who was on. Oh, yeah. I think she talked about writing first thing in the morning. And, and she, I don't think she used this term, but that idea of paying yourself first mm. of like the best, most creative time. I get that first. I love to do that for myself. But another little thing that I, I want to tell about, it was during kind of a publishing drought where I hadn't had a book deal in a while. Things were kind of frustrating. And I caught myself saying these really um, self-deprecating things, trying to be funny that I, things that I would catch myself saying, well, first, let me finish a sentence. Like I would, I'd tell people, well, maybe I'm not a writer anymore, uh, or I don't know, yes, maybe yes. I'll never have another book, you know? And mm -hmm. it was just, it, I, I caught myself doing that. And, you know, the stories we tell about ourselves are so powerful and we need to be telling the right ones. And it reminded me of when I wasn't published yet. And I would be at a conference sitting at a table at dinner with published people. And I would say things like, oh, I'm just a wannabe, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And like, when you say those things, like maybe I'm not a writer anymore, you're just inviting people not to take you seriously. 
seriously and eventually you don't take yourself seriously. And so when I became aware of that, I'm like, I need to act like a writer and treat myself well, like a writer, just because I'm not published for a couple years doesn't mean I'm not a writer anymore. And so two things came from that. I took myself for my birthday on my own private writing retreat where I just didn't, I didn't have the time or the money to leave town, but I got a really nice suite in town at a nice hotel took all my favorite junk foods and some, you know, things to make myself cocktails. And I just went from a Friday afternoon to a Sunday afternoon, didn't shower, didn't put on makeup, didn't wear a bra, just wrote the whole time and would sleep and then wake up and write in the middle of the bed for, for like an hour and go back to sleep. I got so much done and finished a draft. And on that weekend, I reminded myself that like my, I needed to separate my publishing and my writing life mentally, the mental space that I gave those things. And that they're very different. Mm -hmm. And that even if I never published another book, I was still a writer and I need Mm -hmm. to write to be a happy, productive person in the world. And um, so that, but just taking, giving myself that treat, which made me nervous to spend that money on the suite when I didn't have a book deal, but it was like, Mm -hmm. I deserve this. I can do this. It's not that extravagant, but it was a big gesture to my writer self. And I felt like that was a kindness I really needed. And it really helped me kind of re- uh, reboot um, and get back in the game. Beautiful. And you did not give that gift to the published author. Right. Because who cares? Yeah. You gave that gift to the writer. And I think that that's yeah. really, there There comes a time in every writer's life where they make that decision. Is publication more important to me or is actually the writing more important to me? And I think my heart would have pulled toward publication for many years. And now it pulls toward the writing. Even if I'd never been published, this is still the most important yeah. thing. Thing to yeah, me. Yeah. I mean, it's easy. It's easy for us to say. I know that that's fr- know. maybe frustrating for people listening. You're like, yeah, all of it. Sure. But it's, but I had a long drought and I came yeah. to that when, yeah. and then I'm out of it. But I really made peace with the fact that like, I was always going to write, even if I mm-hmm. never got another contract. And it was long enough that I began to think that maybe that would happen, you know, but I kept I, yeah, persisting. Yeah, coming out of a little persist, drought persist, myself. Persist, persist. Yeah. Yeah. So I understand. But I always tell completely. people that was a publishing drought, not a writing drought. Right. I was writing all during that. Me too. And I'm very proud of that fact. So. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> okay. So before, um, before we get into the best book that you've read, which I want to know about it, but I want to talk about something that um, listeners, you may have heard me say it, that I long to try the um, Amazon Publishing Lake Union experience. And I got pretty close with this last book. It went to, to a couple of different editors up there. And then finally they didn't. And we went with um, oh. uh, Grand Central. But oh, cool. Okay. Um, I saw that. So thanks. Um, Morning in this Broken World was an Amazon first read pick for August, which I just think is the holy grail and i just went so we're recording on september 26th so it's almost a month after that and you're still sub 1000 on the amazon store for your book you have 4500 reviews please in in six weeks seven weeks tell me how that feels wait no it actually technically released that's in three weeks because it technically released on september 1st september 1st yeah 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 how, I have goosebumps. How does it feel? I, it feels amazing, especially after the drought I just described, right? It's like, and I feel like I'm in a position to really savor it. And I may have taken it for granted before because mm. I had five books. I had relatively early success and five books mm. come out pretty quickly. And so, and then I, then, you know, some people, it takes forever to break in. I broke in relatively quickly and then had the, then had the waiting period after that. Um, but it's, I think everyone's going to encounter it at some point. 
Um, so yeah, they have been absolutely lovely to work with. And it's just been a dream come true. It's been so fun. I have never had that kind of reach before. Um, and you know, getting new readers, yes, like brand new readers. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have a really loyal, fierce army of people who've read my stuff and stick with me, but this just put me in front of a ton of brand new readers. And I am so grateful for that. And they just been a really, truly, it has been a lovely experience. So I've just tried it. I know how these things go. So I'm trying to just savor it and enjoy the ride. <laughs> I love, and this, the look on your face, that huge smile is awesome. If Is your editor I know. <laughs> by any chance? No, Erin, Erin Adair Hodges. She's oh, fantastic. I, I adore her. Ooh, cool. All right. Someday, someday I'm going to try. <laughs> someday, yeah. someday I'll be there and, and work on that. Because I've had so many friends who've been really, really happy with the experience. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Cool. Absolutely. Right. Now, speaking of books that you loved, um, what's the most recent book that you have enjoyed? Uh, this one I've been just in agony about. What? Do I, which one Ooh. do I talk about? I read a lot. Tell me, and it's, tell me multiple. It, it, and it feeds my writing life big time. Yeah, me too. Um, so I'll talk briefly about, I'm currently reading S.A. Cosby's All the Senators Bleed. Mm. And he's new to me, but I now want to read everything he's ever written. His, I guess his first name is Sean. Mm -hmm. This is an amazing mystery thriller, uh, set contemporary Deep South uh, with a Black sheriff. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just dealing with systemic racism in a really interesting way that I've never seen before Ooh, and yes, really opened please. my eyes to the world of law enforcement from the inside, from somebody who is an elected first black sheriff in this deep Southern town where there's currently this huge protest going on because they want to take down a Confederate um, statue. And there's all mm -hmm. these people who are against it coming down and just dealing with that. And, you know, this man in this job who has to pass that statue every, every day, his name is Titus Crown. I am loving it. I cannot wait to get back to it, but I'm not that done with it. Awesome. But I think it's awesome. And I want to read everything else he's ever written. But I recently read a, um, an arc advanced reading copy of Jessica Strasser's The Last Caretaker. I love her. She's a, yeah, she's a, I, an acquaintance of mine. And I think she's okay. a fantastic writer. So do I, and she keeps getting better and better. And this one just proves it. And so this comes out December 1st. So everybody should pre-order this right now. It's amazing. It was so good. She just had me enthralled. So a woman named Katie, recent divorce, lost her job, kind of needs a fresh start. And a friend sets her up with this job as a caretaker on this nature preserve. This, I can't remember the number of acres, but a pretty big private um, wildlife preserve. And um, she's going to help you know, there's other staff as well, but she will live on the grounds in this house and be the caretaker. And on her very first night there, well, for, when she comes, she's kind of alarmed and, and disturbed that the previous caretaker, the last caretaker stuff is still there and like personal stuff that throws her like, why is this still here? Um, did she, you know, what was the deal? And nobody can give her like a real Oh, she had a, there was a family emergency, you know, and she's like, should I pack this? Does she want this? And then the very first night she's there, the doorbell rings three times at 2 a.m. And she discovers that this house and this property is a stop on sort of an underground railroad sort of system for abused women mm -hmm. getting to escape their abusers and start over somewhere else. Wow. And this is like step one. And she knew nothing about it. 
and she has to decide like, who does she trust? Is she going to keep this going? Um, who's involved? Do they trust her to keep it going? Cause she comes to like really believe in the, in the system. Um, do they trust her? Does she trust them? Who knows about it? Does her, did her friends know about it? Her friend is saying she didn't, but who does she trust? And there's a, another male caretaker, a male caretaker who comes around and she's not sure if he's being helpful or if he's on to them and if that's a good or bad thing. It was amazing. And about so many things about being a woman in the world today. So it's called the last caretaker comes out December 1st and I loved it. I cannot Thank stop you. talking about it to people. I <laughs> cannot wait to get yes. it. I admire her so much. Me All too. right. You have just done a good job telling us about that, but would you please tell us about Morning in This Broken World? Yes, I have it right here. I love the cover so much. The cover much. is I think gorgeous. It's, it's so it's a blue. It's a dark kind of blue purple background with orange and yellows popping off of it. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And you look at that and you're like, is that coronavirus? Is that a flower? Is, is a that flower? a sunburst? Yeah. And all of those things could be true. So um, it's it starts, it's contemporary book club fiction. It starts in March of 2020. And so a lot of people will be like, oh, I don't want to read a pandemic novel. But I'm like, it's not really a pandemic it novel, is, I it swear. Is not. Yeah. It, COVID is the catalyst that brings these people together, but it is not the focus of the story. Um, so we we have four point of view characters. Vivian is a, a widow, recent widow. Her husband died about a month ago. Um, she doesn't really need services, but she's still living in the facility where he died, trying to decide what to do. She still owns a home, but um, she's tried to return to it and it feels very haunted to her. She's kind of afraid of herself alone. She's actually on page one. It's not a spoiler, considering whether she wants to keep living at all. Um and contemplating taking a bunch of pills um, when there's a knock on the door and it's Luna, her very favorite nursing assistant who took care of her husband. And Vivian discovers that Luna is newly separated and about to be evicted. And she's like, Oh, well, and as everything comes crashing down in this particular day where like the facility is going into lockdown and Vivian is like, I cannot stay here in this apartment where my husband died and be completely isolated um, she invites Luna and her two kids to come with her to her house. Um, and the two kids include Wren, who is 11 years old. She has cerebral palsy. She's in this hot pink motorized wheelchair. And Cooper, who's very, very angry and kind of struggling with who he's supposed to be, how he's supposed to be, who he really is in this world. And so all four of them have these, they're already guided, uh, guarded and isolated before COVID. They've all kind of built this armor and they're wearing, they built these walls to protect themselves. And it's coming together and this very unlikely pandemic pack um, and this found family kind of, and they all end up emerging as their truer selves because of coming together. And I kind of use the, um, it ends in June of 2021, where here in Ohio, we had the emergence of the brood X cicadas. I don't know if oh, New yeah, Zealand I remember gets that. Those. Mm -hmm. So like, every they, they're the 17 year yeah. cycle cicadas and when they emerge if you're in an area where they are they come from underground as crawling bugs and leave behind these little amber shells everywhere and they come there are millions of them I'm, that is not an exaggeration there are millions of them they are all over cars and trees and homes they get in your house they get in your car they get in your hair they get in your clothes they don't bite or sting but they are they make a deafening noise I love Cicada's song, but there's just so many of them that it really is, it, they're so loud, it's crazy. Um, and I just thought, 
when I saw like all those shells and then my friend Kathy McCleary posted this beautiful poem about the cicadas that well, I was like, they, my characters are like the cicadas. They are leaving these shells behind and kind of emerging as who they're supposed to be. Um, and there's a lot of drama involved in the shedding of the shells. Right. So, um, but it, so it ends up hopeful and redemptive, I think, and um, an intergenerational friendship story. And it's kind of about finding the light in the really, really dark times that we all experience. What you do so well is you, your characters are entirely real. As you are talking about the book, I'm remembering them as if I'm remembering Aww. my friends that I hung out with. And also you, you gave me like, you know, heart palpitations while I was reading because I was like how how is she gonna how is she gonna finish this how is she gonna finish this and with no spoilers <laughs> you nail the ending like it's just oh, thank just, you oh. mm. and I did not know how it would end when I started I think I, I, I can feel that as, <laughs> okay. yeah and I can feel that because like... I th I think that maybe that's where that unease came from and it's a delicious unease it's perfect because it's it feels oh, real thank you Rachel so. that means so much to me yeah all right. Well, where can we find you out there on the internet? <laughs> the Well, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm just at Katrina Kittle. And um, I have a website that's KatrinaKittle.com that also has links to those um, social media. I'm not really on Twitter much anymore or X or whatever. It kind of lost its appeal for me. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I dove away. <laughs> yeah, me too. But um, also on my website, I do have a monthly free newsletter. It's called Cat's Pajamas. And um, it's pretty fun. I always have reasons to be happy, some little pet shenanigans. I recommend books that I've loved. So it's not just about me and my books, but I think it's pretty fun. It's always kind of short. And um, I would love it if you want to sign up for that. The next one comes out. Um, well, I don't know when this will air. The next one, it's always the first of the, the month that is the first weekday, not on a weekend or a holiday. That is very, very organized of you. I am in awe of that I try I try thank you Katrina what a delight it has been to chat to you as I knew it would be oh it's so mutual thank you so much Rachel thanks so much for joining me on this episode of how do you write you can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. <laughs>